it is just incredible and uh, impactful and meaningful. Like I have literally been meditating on this chapter for years. Even times when I didn't know I was thinking about something about this chapter, I was thinking about this chapter. And it's, it's kind of crazy, because when I was going through and, and preparing my study, um, I was like, oh, that's where that idea came from, buried in this chapter. It's like, uh, and why it's so meaningful, so impactful, and so powerful is that it is, it's the gospel. Isaiah 53 is the gospel. Predates Jesus, but it's the gospel. In fact, that's one of the things I love about this, Isaiah 53, is because it's the gospel, but it doesn't say Jesus. So in your mind, that Sunday school Jesus, that, that picture of Jesus that you have, it's, it, you can't even stop there. You've got to go and say, okay, what is actually happening? Let's, let's pull aside my preconceptions of Jesus, and let's look at what God has done through Jesus. And so it's, it's phenomenal. I've got uh, the wrong bookmark. There we go. Uh, and so just like uh, digging into this, it's been amazing. I was uh, kind of uh, along those lines. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys have, have, have cooked a recipe you found online or something, right? A few of you. Okay, good. I hope it worked out better for you than it did for me because every time I follow those recipes, um, like I see what they're doing. They got the picture. Sometimes they'll, 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 they'll put the thing in the oven and they'll go grab from another oven. I was like, I want that second oven that has the thing in it because mine doesn't get to that end point. Uh, I will just say that my kids will never eat the spaghetti I make ever again. I tried something out. I figured, you know, hey, all the pasta sauces have sugar in them, so I'll just put sugar in this. And they're like, this is disgusting. <laughs> Don't put sugar in your, in your spaghetti. Uh, but then, uh, you know, so like there's kind of this idea of like all these elements should come together and should produce what I expect. All these things should kind of build up and then at the end I should have the result that I wanted. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, how many of you guys remember Bob Ross? Yeah, more of you. All right, cool. I was afraid of this one, but, you know, I think, I think um, growing up, you know, I had to explain to my kids that growing up, I never got to pick what I watched. It was whatever was on TV. And sometimes when you got it up too early for those Saturdays, you would scrape it and he'd put it on there. And I was like, Bob, I can do that. I don't know how that's about. And that's, that's goop on a, a painting, goop on a piece of paper. And then he would take that and make this amazing, like it was a tree. It was literally a happy tree. And so like you would, uh, you look at that and you look at all the ingredients that he was putting together and he, in the hands of a master, became a masterpiece. You know, kind of like those two ideas, like what I expected, what I built, what he expected and what he built out of those ingredients. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the servant that we've been talking about for the past three weeks. We've, um, we've spent, um, yeah, we've talked about the servant's character, the servant's kingdom, uh, and we've talked about the servant's people, so we are now going to talk about the servant's task. If you take Isaiah, and it's important to, to call this out, if you take Isaiah and you split it in half, the first half deals with captivity. Israel in captivity talks about like being stuck, not you know just being in uh, slavery, right? And then the last half of Isaiah is all about hope. You know, things have kind of worked out well. Like, this is great. We're not in captivity. We didn't deliver it. It's about freedom. And so between those is Isaiah 53, God's plan to get from captivity to freedom. 
And uh, this, um, I've got kind of one more thing to say about this because I'm just super excited about this. But uh, this passage about that, about from captivity to freedom, the gospel message in the Old Testament was actually banned from reading among the Jews immediately after Jesus' resurrection. And it was because it's so powerful in talking, it points straight to Jesus that uh, they said this must be, the Christians put this in the Bible somehow. They put this in our Old Testament somehow. They slipped it in, so we're not going to read it. And then um, when uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, amazing what they found in it was a completely intact version of Isaiah, just a copy of Isaiah, completely intact, was written before Jesus was on the scene, and this chapter was there. So it's undeniable that the gospel is in the Old Testament, and we get to look at it today. So we're going to see some amazing stuff as we look at this. We'll see the servant of God, who God says he will exalt and lift up, who will be his mode of deliverance from captivity of freedom, We will see him humiliated, crushed, and cut off, killed, dead. And we will also see him restored, exalted, and alive today. And that's the gospel message, right? Let's go ahead and spend some time. Let's just pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you, lift up this morning to you, and just thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for your deliverance, Lord. Thank you for... Uh, doing things that we don't expect, Lord, and just um, your perfect actions, Lord. We thank you that we can look and look back and see your hand in this, Lord. We thank you that we can look back and see your hand in our lives, Lord. And we just pray that um, yeah, this morning you would just reveal something new to us. Lord, your gospel message is always powerful no matter where we're at in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see here. We're going to start in 52, actually. I lied. 52, uh, 13, yes. Uh, So I'm going to, let's go ahead and read this. Uh, I think you guys have been standing, right? Why don't we stand for this? I like that. All right. It says in 52, 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall, cut, shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told they, them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like sheep, and like a sheep that, is, that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for, this, as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he was put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall be satisfied by his knowledge. He shall, uh, shall, be, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear the iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Okay, you can sit down. Right? The gospel. It's amazing. So we start off in uh, verse 13 there where he says, behold, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Behold means stop. Look. This is something amazing. Whatever you're doing, drop it. You know, put down your phone, stop texting. This, stop, pay attention. It's uh, like when uh, the magician pulls back the curtain and says, ta-da, like wow, this is the wow moment. So he says, stop, my servant will act wisely and he will be high and lifted up and exalted. This, is in, this part is important to the rest of this and important to, the, to God's work of salvation. He will, God says, I will, he will be wise and I will lift him up. He will be high and exalted. The term high and exalted is used in Isaiah twice, other, two other times, sorry. Only ever about God, Right? If you're familiar, it's, you know, Isaiah 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Right, so high and lifted up is specifically, I will exalt him, and I will place him high as God. Um, so it kind of fits into our Trinitarian view, but I, I want to kind of like call to point this thing. Flip back to Isaiah 14 real quick with me. Because not only are we talking about the gospel message, we're talking about the, the power of God, which really is in the gospel message. And we're talking about uh, we are to exalt one God. Sorry, I'm there we, there we go. I'm going off my notes here, so let's find it. Isaiah. Doo, doo, doo. Uh, 
I lost it. Bear with me a minute. I thought of this and I thought I should share this. Let's see here. Oh, golly. Ah, 1412. I had 14 and 12 in my head, so that works. Uh, so now, this, this is another person who wants to be high and exalted up, who wants to be on equal standing with God. And when you, when you and I talk about, like, what does it mean to have this, to be this powerful, to be this, you know, we think of the most amazing charismatic people we know. Like, oh, yeah, that person deserves to be president or prime minister or king or whatever. We think about somebody who's maybe a powerful business person, somebody who's reached out and grabbed what they wanted, worked hard, earned it, whatever, achieved it. This is, the, this is what we think of when we think of power. And um, it's, uh, it's kind of laid out here. Uh, Isaiah 14 talks about uh, the devil and what his view of power is. And this should sound familiar, right? So uh, it says in 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit in the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And it goes on, but you are brought down to Sheol. So now we have two concepts of power, right? Power has been like in our, in, uh, we've been talking about a power a lot lately. I think for the past couple of years, power, like what is power, right? We, we talk about, oh, there's, power, so that means there's a powerful person and, and a victim, right? That's the only language we're given for power, which is the language that, that, that Satan has for power, honestly, what power is. Power is this fallen sense of, I will, go, I will rise up and I will push everyone down when I rise up. And so when we read that God will exalt them, we're like, okay, who, who are you pushing down? Like, who, who's, who's being pushed down here? But what we have here is actually God is saying, no, 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 no. This is what real power is. We, I can imagine this going on like a conversation in heaven where, um, where Satan is like, I will do this. I will show you God. I will show you what real power is. Real power is when I take from you what you have. And instead, what we're going to get is a picture of what God says, no, 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 I will show you real power. I will let everything go. Right? I will, I'll humble myself and uh, die and let go of all the power. And the real power of God is getting through that and restoration. And so this is key to like the rest of, rest of this as we look through this understanding that this is God's power on display. Yeah, God has the power in the, in the, in the mighty winds. Like when, when you're living in some place where there's hurricanes and a hurricane wipes out your house, right, they, the insurance company will call that an act of God. And so like, yeah, that's something we have <laughs> totally no control over. Um, but what, what God is calling power here is that being submitted to his will, being in the place of, what he has for good, right? You can look at any object, right? I think um, this, this basket over here and say that, you know, if you can imagine, there's this um, force field of, of, of options, of potential for this basket, right? It right now, I would say is good because it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's doing what it was designed to do and it has no change in purpose, right? But 
That basket could be anything. It could be a hat. It could be a weapon, right? It, all these possibilities around it, when I change it from what its purpose is, and um, while silly and, and, and potentially dangerous, those aren't good. But what is good is when it's doing what its purpose is. Jesus came on this earth with the purpose to die for our sins and be raised again. And that was good, right? And so God is saying, when you see my power, it's always good. So when we talk about Jesus being good, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, no one takes it from me. Speaking about his own life, he says, no one takes it from me. He says, but I lay it down of my own accord. It says he acts wisely, right? And wisdom, as, as, as Pastor Nick highlighted, is, is about fearing the Lord. That's where it begins, Proverbs says. And so when, throughout all the rest of this chapter, when all this nasty stuff is happening to the servant, Understand, he's going in wisely. He's going in fearing God, knowing what's going to happen. And it's, you'll see in this chapter as we go through it, shock and amazement by everyone who's watching, but not by the servant. The servant is going through it. And at the end of it, being perfectly submitted to God's will, God will raise him up. Not like Satan trying to raise himself up. So in 14, it says, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So we go from wise and exalted down to disfigured and shocking. You can't even recognize him. Right? That's um, where we're... um, we start to begin with the tension, right? This Hebrew poetry is all about tension, juxtaposing, putting together ideas that don't quite match and kind of contrasting, comparing, and then expanding upon them. It's not like rhymes, like we have poetry, but these are just kind of, it's idea poetry. And um, so when we look at this and we say, okay, exalted and then disfigured, like that's weird, right? We want our, we want our movie stars and our, and, our, and, our, and our kings and presidents, whatever, we want them to look nice. We want them to be, kind of be the best of us. Although I, I haven't seen that in many years. Um, but you know, we want them to be the best of us. So the, uh, but even, even, even the disciples struggled with this, right? In, in um, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having, having like kind of a conversation with his disciples. He says, hey, this is the paraphrased Andy version. Hey, who do people say that I am? And, and so they respond, oh, a teacher, a prophet, you know, all these things. And, you know, that should sound familiar. Like when, when you go out on the street and say, who's Jesus? People say, oh, he's a good teacher. Right? Kind of like all these kind of words, which are kind of like, uh, you don't really know, do you? Like, because if you read what he said, you'd say he's either crazy or right. But <laughs> so much more than just a teacher. And then... Uh, then Jesus says, okay, now who do you say that I am? The more important question. And Peter responds, um, you're the Messiah. You're the servant, right? Uh, and so Jesus says, you're right. And I'm going to give you a new name. And on this idea of who I am, I'm going to build my church. We're here because of that idea, right? We're here because Jesus is the Christ, the deliverer. Um, then... 
Here's where the confusion comes in. Jesus says, now I'm going to go die. And Peter says, whoa, 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 hold on, you can't say that. No, 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 no. We just said, you're going to deliver us. You're going to exalt it. You're going to take us through this. And, Peter, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It went from like, Here's your, your new name is Peter. No, wait, 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 your new name is Satan, right? Uh, that's a bad translation. Don't, don't quote me on that. But, but like the, uh, the idea here is that like that idea of no, you don't have to die, that's Satan's view, right? Satan pulled Jesus into the, Satan met Jesus into the wilderness and said, I'll give you everything. You don't have to die. I'll give you the entire world. Just bow to me. Put me up above you when God lifts you up. So I will be above God. I will get what I wanted. And Jesus says, no. I'm going to do this God's way. I'm going to do this the good way. And then verse 15, so kind of 14 is really kind of about the people who knew Jesus was coming, right? Uh, now, verse 15 expands it to everybody. So when I say the people who knew, I'm talking about the people of God, Israel, who had all these prophets, had all these things. Now we expand outside, and verse 15 says, So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for, what, for that which has not been told they see, and that which they have not heard they understood. So they, it's, it's really a reversal of what we, we see elsewhere where it says, uh, seeing they shall not see and hearing they shall not hear. When speaking about the people of Israel, the, the nations are just shocked, like, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me there's this dude who's going to come, he's going to save me, but he's going to do it because he's disfigured and he's going to die? I don't, I don't get it. That's foolish. That's ridiculous. So, but all nations are brought into this because... Uh, the servant, like I said, is Jesus. Now, there, there, there are three servants, just kind of a sidebar, but there are three servants in the book of Isaiah. One is Israel. The other is Cyrus, who frees them from captivity, who hasn't been born yet uh, when, when Isaiah is writing this. And then the third is Jesus. Now, if you talk to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, they will say, okay, this is obviously Israel. And Israel has suffered immensely, like I was uh, talking with my wife. It's like we, we were talking about how all the Hollywood movies seem to be about World War II, and it's just astonishing, like the, the suffering. And so, like, I am an expert on World War II. I have no idea what happened, honestly, in later wars. I get kind of, like, some information. I get all my information from movies. I'm sorry. But, uh, but like, <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, but, like, you know, this, the, the immense suffering that the Jews have gone through is clear, is... is horrendous. Um, but what's being called out here is that, um, and we're going to see it shift, the language shift here, but, but that this message is not just for the Jews. This message is for all nations, and all nations will, will need to face this truth of who Jesus is. And it is shocking to everybody. Shocking that the person who will deliver us, deliver the Jews from captivity, it's going to be this way. It's going to go through this process. Shocking to the people who never heard about Jesus. Like, that's powerless. That's not power. I know what power is. Power is taking from what people have. And that's the worldly view of power, right? So this is just, you know, we're like three verses in. And this is just like, you're starting to get the sense of nobody gets it. Even when they've been told it, even when they see it, nobody understands how this works.
So in beginning, and this idea continues in uh, 53 where it says, um, who has believed what he has heard from us and who, is, who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry, dry ground. I want you to kind of imagine what that is. Instead of bursting on the scene like a powerful oak tree, like a, like a in-bloom fruit tree, like something useful and powerful. Like when I think of something like majestic in a, in a plant, I think of you know, those big redwoods that you can't put your arms around. Like, or those, those ancient pictures of those trees people drove through, like this massive, massive tree. I'm like, okay, that, that has staying power. That is a, if, if I were to call a tree powerful, that would be a powerful tree, right? Instead, he's saying, no, 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 you're going to, this is like dead all around. You, this, is, this is a plant that's coming up and struggling for life. A plant that you would say like, what, there, there's no good from that plant, maybe a weed or something. Just this is, this is a useless plant. It's shooting up out of dry ground. It's probably going to die. And if not, you know, somebody's going to step on it and it's gone. Right, that plant is gone. Unimpressive. But um, which spoiler port is a spoiler is going to happen. He will be clipped after struggling. Um, a few years ago when we rented this church, um, there used to be a painting, I don't know if you guys saw it, picture slash painting, whatever, picture of a painting, I don't know, of Jesus over in the over in the side here and and I loved walking past it because it was so horrendously wrong <laughs> Jesus had blue eyes Jesus had uh, light brown hair and kind of like white skin I don't know it was an old painting you couldn't tell it was faded but it was like that that's not Jesus that makes completely no sense at all um, you see in two it says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Right. Completely unimpressive. Not powerful by our definition. Not good looking by our definition. He's like, oh, okay, this, look, it's Jesus. All right, who cares, right? I want somebody beautiful to be like my idol of a person, of what power is. And that's kind of like we've honestly made that into, like, if you watch, like, I've been watching a bunch of the Christian movies, like, what was it, The Chosen, it was uh, Jesus Revolution, like, right, well, that wasn't, but that was the same dude, sorry, Uh, but, you know, like, um, but, you know, anytime they portray Jesus, like, it's like, oh, that's a cool guy, right, you know, Jesus, I saw a clip uh, uh, from The Chosen where Jesus is like, hold on, I got to go play with these guys, and it's like, he's like, that's a fun guy, I want to be around that guy, that's not who's being described here, Honestly, not that Jesus was no fun, but like, like this is somebody who you don't care about. Somebody you pass on the street and say like, eh, whatever, right? That's who God is going to use. In uh, verse 3, it says he was despised and rejected of men. When I say the word despised, you think of, oh, um, sweet potatoes or um, 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 chewing with your mouth open or um, 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 like whatever, you just thing that gets up in your crawl and you're like, oh, I hate it when you do that. You breathe so loud. You know, like that kind of like despise. There's a lot of fire behind it when our English. Well, in Hebrew, that fire goes away. That's not what it means at all. In fact, what it means is unworthy of attention. You are so below me, Jesus, that I don't care. 
not even worth responding to. It's like, um, I don't know, growing up, there was always the kids' table and the adults' table, and you always wanted to be at the adults' table because that's where the conversation was happening. It was fun. I don't know. That was me growing up. But like, and then, but the nice thing about being an adult now, I'm like, go to the kids' table so I can have an adult conversation, right? So like, uh, people with kids. But, uh, but the, you know, like, the, the idea is that like, I want to have an important discussion right now, and I don't want to talk about gummy bears, right? So, like, the idea here is that Jesus is coming in. is like, no, 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 Jesus. I want to have the, let the adults speak now. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those conversations. It happens to me quite often because I have such low EQ, but where I will start talking to somebody, and they will not acknowledge me, and they will talk to somebody else. I was like, oh, I guess I interrupted a conversation. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I wasn't really worth talking to right now because there was a different idea or a thought going on. I'm working on that, but, uh, but like the idea here is that Jesus is powerless, unimpressive, and this is, um, this is how they're reacting to him. You're not worth our time. Not only that, but it says that he's a man of sorrows, uh, that they will hide their faces from, acquainted with grief, now, uh, as many of you know, I've moved in with my parents, 43 years old, thank you. Um, moved in, no, I'm really blessed by them. They'll, they'll hear this later, so I've got to say that. Uh, but, like, uh, the, my whole family, they've got kind of, we're, we're living on their property right now, and they had a cat. Now, uh, I'm telling you this because what's, uh, before I get into the story, I want to tell you that what we're seeing here is that people not only are too busy for Jesus, they don't want to be drug into his sorrows and grief because grief will drag you in, right? I was realizing this even just uh, earlier this morning that grief is not something you can skip over or shortcut or be done with. Grief is something you have to always, always go through. There's no, even when somebody comes alongside you with grief, it's in parallel but it never speeds that grief up. It never accelerates that. You go through it. You have to go through it. Otherwise, you get stuck and bitter, and, 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 and you're stuck in that grief. Um, so when I talk about like, when the nations are hiding their faces from this man who is full of grief, like, you're too much trouble. Like, if I engage with you, I'm going to be sad. Nobody wants to be around a down, downer, right? So... My, uh, back to the story, my kids uh, fell in love with my parents' cat, who was alive when we first moved there. Now you know the ending of the story. Uh, so he was, they, he was their basement cat, and if you know the memes, you know what basement cat means. He was a black cat. Uh, they just kind of, uh, you know, ceiling cat is God and basement cat is the devil. That's okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, anyways, uh, his name was Fausto, even better. He was such a sweetheart of a cat. Like, you know, uh, I'm not much of a cat person, but I loved Fausto, really did. And so did my kids, especially my youngest one, Zoe. And uh, Fausto was a bit like going out into the woods and coming back and going out. It's like he just was like an out. He was outside cat, but as, as soon as we showed up, he wanted to be an inside cat. Uh, and so then uh, my kids fell in love with him. And then one day Fausto didn't come back. And we're, we were like two weeks in, and, and I was like, Sarah, the, the cat's dead. She says, no, he's not. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's two weeks. He's gone. It's been, it's been a few months now, so like, or been at least a month or two. But uh, so Fausto is dead, everybody. I'm sorry. 
sorry to lay that on you, but my youngest, Zoe, I didn't want to tell her. Like, I was like, oh, God, maybe I, maybe, maybe I don't have to tell her, and, like, we can, I can not see her go through that grief. Like, I don't want her to go through it. And, you know, not that I saved her from anything. She's got brothers. But the, we were at one point watching a TV show, and there was a black cat on it. And, uh, and she said, oh, that's Fausto. I said, oh, you're right. He must have gone to Hollywood. He's an actor now. And then, uh, then my wife tells me last week, yeah, she realized that Fausto's not coming back, and he didn't go to Hollywood. I was like, oh, breaks my heart. But, you know, she has to go through that grief. She does. So uh, avoiding grief like these are, are trying to do um, doesn't work. Another, another story. So, like, how many of you guys remember Pinking in the Brain? Yes, this is the right crowd. I was afraid of this one. Um, because, uh, you know, it's like you have to be kind of, anyways, my age or older. Um, but the, uh, yeah, Pinky and the Brain, right? So two lab rats, cartoon, for those who don't know. Uh, one was a genius and the other was insane. insane. Thank you. Could never figure out which was which. But uh, so Pinky and the Brain, right? And in every show of Pinky and the Brain, it was the brain trying to take over the world, right? And uh, he would, and Pinky was just, there for along the ride and just things would happen. So uh, I'll never forget this one time, the brain asks Pinky, Pinky, well, he says it every episode of Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And, um, and, and Pinky says, I think so, brain. But if they called them sad meals, kids wouldn't buy them. And I was like, you're right. Like if they were sad meals instead of happy meals, nobody would want them. We don't want sadness. We don't want grief. We push it away. We see it as bad. And all that to get us to the point that this is the obvious reaction, not just of these people, but this is our reaction, right? So this is, this is how we react when faced with sadness. So the entire world is confused by this unimpressive, annoying, Bummer of a dude. <laughs> Yet this is the arm of the Lord that delivers from captivity into eternal hope through God's power. So how do we reconcile these two things? God will exalt his wise servant and his servant will be completely humiliated and cut off. We see that it's through the process of suffering and pain that God delivers what is needed because um, it is needed for, because of our sins. Now, in verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs. We're going to flip what we just said. We said, you know, he's a man of sorrows. He's a man of grief. He, you know, we don't want to see him. He's all these ugly things, ugly things, right? And then Isaiah says, Ha ha, you're the reason. Because he inserts our here. It says, Surely he has, been, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We saw that he was all these negative things, so it must have been God judging him. You know, why, why can't you make it better? Why aren't you in a better place? And instead, it's our sins, our griefs poured out on him that he's going through. Verse 4, uh, yeah, repeats that. The curtain is pulled back and the truth is laid bare here, right? We didn't recognize it at first. The sufferings of the servant were not his own fault as we thought before, but, the act, but were in fact the result of our sins. Uh, if you've ever seen, uh, or I guess it's a book, uh, the, the Portrait of Dorian Gray. Now, there was a, 
early 2000s version. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it, but there was a 1945 version, which I really love. Um, and the portrait of Dorian Gray is a story about this man who's living his best life. In fact, he's, he's even immortal, right? So it's kind of a fantasy horror thing. Uh, but like he just lives forever and he lives perfectly. Like everything goes his way. He's rich, famous, you know. Uh, he has got a dark side. And in that dark side, he is a murderer, a lecher. He's destroying lives. He is doing all these things, but he's just totally fine, right? Nothing's happening to him. Well, the secret in the portrait of Dorian Gray is that he's got a painting of himself. And every bad thing that he does, that painting gets marred. It's ugly, disfigured. And so after years and years and years of living this life, he's got this ugly painting, so ugly he can't even look at it. So ugly, he puts it in a room and locks it away. And he just continues living his life. Uh, and at the, end of the, at the end of the story, he has to come face to face with his, with his sin, with his, his ugliness. And, uh, and it destroys him completely when faced with that. Very much like that, Jesus is the painting, the portrait. Our sin and ugliness, we go on living how we want to live, living the life, I will do my will, God. That's on Jesus, right? So that's, that is that ugliness that everyone is appalled at and ashamed for is my ugliness. Side note, they are right that it is smitten by God, and we'll get there, that this is God's will, but not in the way that they were thinking. For also says that he bears our sins for our healing, Right, so this is why. When it talks about bearing our sins, this is a sacrificial term in the Hebrew. It means to carry away. So like uh, it's, you're carrying a burden, and then you have the sacrifice, and that burden is lifted off to you, placed onto, placed, placed onto an innocent, and you take the innocent, so you swap. Ugliness for innocence. And that is uh, what Jesus is doing. He, he takes our sins carries away that burden away from us and in in place we gain his righteousness his innocence i think it's also important to note that jesus doesn't suffer as a result of our sins god wasn't like oh well dude they're did you see they're sinning all right we need something hey jesus go and she's like oh okay i'll do it right um in fact no one, I, my sins didn't make Jesus do anything. If that were the case, he would have no choice, right? But the truth is that Jesus takes my place willingly. He didn't, God didn't have to do this. God was never forced to do this. God willingly takes your place. So the reason that's important, because a lot of times you'll have these discussions about Jesus and people say, well, like, I never asked him to do that. I never asked him to save me. Like, you, you, you're telling me Jesus saves. Like, woohoo, he saved you. I don't, I don't care, right? We'll get that response. And uh, the, the truth is, Jesus does this for you. You didn't make him do it. So even if you don't want it, he's done it, right? That doesn't complete the process, but it's important to know that his death covers all. And um, so... This we call substitutionary atonement. 
meaning that God takes off the sin debt and replaces it with the innocence. It's like if you showed up to a trial. Uh, let's, let's make it serious. Let's show up to, your, to a murder trial. You murdered somebody, even accidentally, whatever. You're, in, you're, in, you're at the court. Judge calls your name. Somebody else says, nope, I'm here to be punished for this. That's what Jesus has done. So verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You hear that all in both places. Always pay attention when the Bible repeats itself. Um, so this problem is everyone's. All we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, no one from the best person you know to the worst person you know has any standing in God at all on their own. In fact, uh, it says elsewhere that our, the best that we have, you know, the best life. I watch all these videos on like, oh, do this for your morning routine. Do this to lose weight. Do this to lower your cholesterol. Do this to be a nuclear scientist. I watch a ton of YouTube videos. And um, legit, that's on my playlist. Uh, but the, um, the thing is that the best that I can do, the best that those people can do, because I see these, these fitness guys, and they're ripped. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, um, but, like, even the best fitness, like, none of the, those best people, those beautiful people, have nothing before a righteous God. Nothing they can bring to say, like, Good, look, God, I can impress you with this. They impress me, but, you know, God... Um, the only thing uh, is that uh, we get standing with God through Jesus. No other way. It says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we did the sinning, and he bore the punishment for all of us. Next, um, verses 7 through 9, we see, that, uh, we see Jesus' submissiveness his innocence and, and the injustice of what is being done. I know this sounds like a downer. It's like, oh, all this negative stuff is happening, but we'll get through this, and we're going to see, like, as this is pulled apart, like, this is God's will. And Jesus, like I said, removing that Sunday school Jesus, this is what he went through, and it's important. So it says, he was oppressed and he was inflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened his, not his mouth. So the servant is also described as a sheep. Remember, we just left the previous verse where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone and done our own things. And this time he says, okay, you guys are like sheep and you got it wrong. You want to do what your own, you want to do your own thing, get lost, killed, all these bad things, you're, you're dumb sheep. Well, this is, this is that nature, that sheep nature transformed. Jesus goes like a sheep, obedient and submissive to God's will, even unto death. That is what uh, the sheep is supposed to look like. It was transformed, that nature that we have. And then in verse 8 through 9, we talk about injustice. It says, he has cut, he is cut off from the land of the living. Now, cut off uh, is a term for capital punishment in the Bible. So not only capital punishment, but generational. So like he is cut off and he will have no descendants and no legacy. That was what God is doing, right? He will be cut off from the land of the living. And then he'll be thrown out with the trash, not even buried with his own people. 
Like, he will be killed, and he will be buried with the wicked, because that's what he deserves, right? This is, he will be buried in such a place that nobody will remember him. You're not buried with your family. You're not buried here. You have no legacy. We want to cut you off, and that was the goal. And, that, and yet in 9, you know, he didn't deserve this treatment. In, seven, in verse 7, he, he suffered in silence, not pushing back against the unjust treatment. In verse 9, he says he never lied with his mouth. So and he kept his mouth shut when he could have said something, and every time he opened his mouth, it was true and honest. And so when um, James in the New Testament talks about the mouth, talks about the tongue, he says this, the tongue, is also, tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among men, the many parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Congratulations, that's your tongue. The, you know, I mean, how many times have you said something and wanted to get it right back, right? Like, you know, sometimes you're tired or hangry, even, or really angry. Like, those words come out, and you can never unsay what you've said. You can apologize. You can say, no, 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 I didn't mean it. I was in, and then you've got to excuse it. Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I've got this thing. You know, whatever it is. But there is no taking back those words. Jesus never had that moment, right? I think we've all had that moment. So, like, this is unique and amazing, who Jesus is. All the things that, the things that mess us up, Right? He's being punished for. He's being punished for those things that I've said here. So far we've seen God will, one, accomplish something through, this, through his servant. It will be substitutionary in my place. And that we, I, will reject him. So we've been, we've been left here. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of tension in this. We've been left here with a few questions. Like, okay, why is an innocent man suffering from my failures, right? Why? Why uh, how, how can one man die for not just me, but everyone? Because we said this was all, right? And lastly, is it, is it on purpose? Like, is, was this intended? Is this, is this the plan? And verse 10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul Um, makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It's God who takes responsibility. Like I said, my sin doesn't push him there. He's decided to be there, right? God says, you said he he was being punished because of his sin by the Lord. Instead, it's true, I'm punishing, but I'm punishing your sin through him. It is still, it is God working, undeniably, but in a way that we weren't expecting. So this is the plan and choice of God. Uh, Peter describes this in Acts uh, chapter 2. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So which is it? Is it this is the plan and foreknowledge of God, or is this a lawless action? Right? They kind of seem contradictory, but why not both? Why not both? Why not God's plan was worked through these lawless men? 
And then more importantly, is this what God wanted to happen? The power of God's arm is not the power. I mean, we've been talking about power. We, talk, we compared it with the world's and Satan's concept of power. Now this is God's power, concept of power. And it's important to note that the power of God's arm is not the power to crush the enemy, sin. But it is the power that when the enemy has crushed the servant, to give back love and mercy and to lift the servant up. It is God who restores. So why would God hurt an innocent person? It's like, is this like cosmic child abuse? Like, oh, <laughs> watch what I'll do to Jesus now. You kind of get that sense when you're reading Job. He says, hey, what about my servant Job? And you're like, oh, God, well, don't say what about my servant Andy. Like, right, you know, you, know, like you look at this like, God is looking for a way to, to get at me. But, um, and that's not true. Uh, but, uh, but when you look at this, you're like, okay, why does, is God just like beating up his kid? Um, remember how we started this? It said, my servant is wise. This is no surprise to Jesus. Jesus stepped forward into this for us. All the pain, suffering, keeping silent in oppression, speaking the truth, all this, all who Jesus was, he chose and he went in knowing where he was going. It's interesting, it says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. There are five Levitical sacrifices in the Old Testament. Sin and a bunch of others and guilt. Now, the uniqueness about this reference to the guilt offering, the guilt offering is the one where you had to proclaim your sins. The sins that you know that you've done, you proclaim on the animal and get and, and transferred to the animal, and you accept the animal's kind of innocence. If the servant's, and Oswald Chambers puts it this way, if the servant's ministry is to have any validity for me, I must take the broken self he offers me and, turn it, and in turn offer it back to God in my place. Of all the sacrifices, this one was for guilt that had been knowingly incurred by the individual and had to be offered by the individual responsible. So in this poem, we've gone from Israel doesn't know, everyone doesn't know, this is God's plan, God will restore, and guess what? You have to make a personal choice. You have to say, I am guilty. You have to lay it out and accept it. No one, can, no one else can accept the offer of salvation for you. I know... Um, I know we, we, we make intercession. We pray for people desperately, you know, loved ones, family. We want them to be saved. But the choice is ultimately and ever and always theirs. And so this sacrifice, this gift is available, but it has to be accepted. There's, when somebody forces a gift on you, it's not a gift. In fact, a lot of the times I look at that, I'm like, huh, I didn't really need a gun rack. Wayne's World. Um, but, you know, like, uh, but like, you look at it and you're like, that's not a gift, right? This is, this is offered and then I need to accept it. That's the other part of giving, right? So, like, otherwise it's, you know, somebody's opinion of something you might need, 
might not need, and then I've got to find a place for it, and then you're moving, so you got to throw away all those things. Um, true story. Uh, so we've got a surprise ending here that we've hit, right? Remember, it said he was cut off, buried with the, uh, his legacy was thrown out, and he was buried with the wicked. Nobody was going to recognize him. Didn't look very impressive. We killed him. We got rid of him. Dude was kind of on our nerves. We killed him, right? But God says, no, no, no. He shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. Death is not the ending for Jesus, and his legacy is here, right? We are all in that family, if you've accepted this gift. We are the legacy. The Lord crushed him and will now prosper him, is what it's saying. Now, Psalms 22 says the same thing. Um, we really get it wrong. Uh, Psalms 22 is what Jesus quoted on the cross, if, if, if you're familiar with that. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And so we look at that and they're like, oh man, Jesus was really bummed. It's like, why aren't you talking to me, God? You know. Uh, but the, the truth is, you need to finish that psalm. That's a psalm of deliverance. That's a psalm that goes through this crushing uh, and then takes, comes out on the other end delivered and restored. And so Jesus was saying, I'm here in the crushing right now, but I know God's plan for this is restoration and a, and a legacy and an establishment. So all of the things that were taken from the servant are restored and counted righteousness. This means that God sees you as innocent. We use the term justification. I try to avoid Christianese words, but just, it's super important to understand. This is, these are the kind of terms we use. Justification meaning that um, just if I'd never sinned. It's kind of an easy way to remember it, justified. So... 2 Corinthians says it this way, For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Yeah. So we'll go back to where we started. We've gone full circle. Remember the very first beginning, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted why will he be exalted? Uh, why will he divide his portion among the many, as it says? Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, we just came out of Philippians, but we're going to repeat it. In Philippians, it says, Who, though, speaking of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, God, uh, glory of the Father. We just heard the gospel, guys. Like, Paul is definitely looking back at Isaiah and saying, see, all that, that crushing, that this servant that takes us from captivity to freedom, 
is embodied in Jesus. Jesus has suffered and died. The world didn't want him. Nobody wanted him. And he's been, he's risen again, and he's been exalted. He now, and it says he sits on the right hand of God. And it says, the last thing, the final thing I want, I want to kind of point out here. In verse 12, it says, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for, for the transgressors. He bore the sin, past tense, he bore the sin. He carried away the sin. Present tense. Makes intercession for the transgressors. Today. Now. Jesus is making intercession for you. All that stuff that you're struggling with, all the things that, those temptations that sneak up, all the things that, you know, you know, Satan says, hey, what about my servant Andy? You know, like, all that stuff, Jesus is there praying for you, interceding for you. You have a partner in this. You aren't alone. The gospel is powerful for the non-Christian as it is for the Christian. This is the truth. God is on your side. No matter how much you pursue God, he will always pursue you more. You've come here wanting to worship God Sunday morning. He's, he's met you here with more than that, and he will continue to be on your side. All right, let's go ahead and pray.